0: Well, this um, this parable today um, is so clear. I think when we read it, it's such a it's one of those stories of Jesus that has a simple um, obviousness about it. That I thought uh, uh, I'm in danger of making it more complex and spoiling the simplicity of the parable. But so um, you can tell me at the end um, whether I succeeded in ruining a simple story of Jesus. But um, it's a wonderful story, and uh, as I think about these parables of Jesus, um, it occurred to me that they are stories that when you hear them or read them, um, and then you pause a little and let the story, you look at the story or listen to the story, it starts to um, speak back to you. Um, years ago, Sylvia and I went to, uh, we're in Turkey, and we went to Istanbul. And went to one of the sites. There is an old uh, monastery. It's now a museum, and uh, from the Byzantine Orthodox Church, and there are wonderful frescoes uh, on the tiles on the walls. And over the one of the main doorway, if I recall correctly, was a wonderful fresco of Christ looking at you. It was a simple picture, um, but Sylvia pointed out to me that if you paused and looked at it, and as you moved around the vestibule of the room, um, the eyes followed you wherever you go. It's one of those and uh, very clever really what looked like a simple simple picture actually had a hidden depth in it and i think this story like so many of the parables of jesus um the, the story looks back at you well jesus is looking at the hearers as he tells the story so um let us think about this what i want to um introduce it by phrasing the uh, framing the question about what is the genuine response to god That we should have I'll just get my thing thing okay now we all need to know um, what God expects of us as true members of his kingdom and this simple parable does um, does speak to that question doesn't it Um, the question of what God requires of us and and the obvious answer to it of course is that true response to God is seen in obedience Um, that's really what it's about Um, but I want to look. I want to look at the setting as well. Um, Jesus is now talking um, with a, 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 a great heaviness to the leaders of the nation, and you heard it there in our reading today, uh, at the opening part of the reading. He is addressing these, sto- these stories, these parables now, to um, the people at the top, the leaders, the um, the people who are the the trendsetters and the powerful people of his day and it occurred to me just as I was thinking about this this morning um, how much, uh, it sounds a silly thing to say, but how much I admire um, the courage of Jesus. He was right in the lion's den, as it were. Um, The tension of opposition from that he was challenging the leaders of his nation and his church, as it were, uh, was rising and he was going right to them Um, and throwing down the challenge from God, from the Son of God, to them about themselves and their failure to lead. So uh, in that section we read at the beginning there, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, and they challenged him about his authority as he was challenging them. So the question then is, um, we are now with the final confrontation of Jesus um, and and the leaders of his nation. So I just want to put this into its context. Um, he's now not talking to persuade people, but as it were, now to judge, to pronounce the failure of the nation and the and their leaders. Um, but it's worthwhile to step back and look at the whole section um, of, of, um, of the Gospel and to think about um, what this is about. Um, we have, um, we have here three, three sets of engagements with, between Jesus and his opponents. We have, um, first of all, he comes to Jerusalem, as you know, you know the story, and he, he, he does three symbolic actions, public actions. He comes with what we call the triumphal entry, um, and then he clears the temple traders out in a direct and a physical challenge to the way they were conducting themselves. And then in a supernatural act, he withers and curses a fruitless fig tree. Those are the the three events that happen somewhat before this story. And then as Matthew tells the story, he moves into um, three parables of judgment. Three parables of judgment. And they form a kind of... uh, We're looking at... um, the first one of these parables today, and these form a triptych. I saw a triptych at Ray's place the other day, didn't I? The painter, um, a triptych, three panels, and the three parables that are going to be out, we're looking at today in the next couple of weeks form a connected um, series, as Jesus is uh, pronouncing a message um, to uh, to his um, to his listeners. And uh, they are, these three three panels of, uh, of, um, three parables of judgment, they are about the proper response to God, of obedience, the parable of the two sons, of repentance, the story of the tenant farmers, and of belief, the story of the wedding invitation. And then when he finishes these three parables, um, he then engages in public debate or argument um, with the very leaders of the nation. And he has three controversial arguments that they bring to him. Um, They weren't there to learn from him. Many people came and asked Jesus because they had a genuine question to ask him. And they wanted to know the answer. Um, But his opponents here don't want to know the answer. They want to catch him and embarrass him. And so they bring a the question about uh, taxes to Caesar, about the question of who you're married to in the resurrection, if, if your spouse and another spouse die in that question, and um, which is the greatest commandment. Uh, and uh, I suppose you've had the experience, or I have, certainly have, of being asked questions about the Christian faith, about God and about Jesus. And you very quickly learn whether you have a genuine questioner talking to you. I engaged, uh, well, I was approached by uh, a very vocal atheist who doesn't live, I think, far from here online a while back, engaged me in questions. And he was one of these sort of outspoken and rather brash uh, fellows, but I thought, oh, well, he's asked me questions. Um, And there was a moment early on in the exchange where his um, overconfidence was dented a little bit by my answers. And I thought he might be starting to actually be curious and want to know. And then he flipped back to um, dismissing and arguing and all that. So public arguments. Now, so Jesus is here challenging the moral and spiritual failures of, um, of the people, of the leaders of the people. Um, but instead of heeding his message, and remember, they'd been engaging with him at a distance when he was in Galilee and all the way through. They were following him. They dug in now deeper to oppose him, um, and so on. So um, I I wondered, looking at this parable, whether in this opening parable, uh, Jesus was still hoping, still hoping that he might persuade them to look at themselves and see that they needed to change, because they're in the parable, of course, these people. Um, But after these interactions, any hope of getting the leaders to change course is over. And then he moves into a very, very uh, hard critique of the failure of the spiritual and uh, national leaders. That's in chapter 23. It's very, very uh, strong criticism Jesus made. And then, of course, the final prophecy in um, chapter 24 of the judgment coming on Jerusalem. So as we, I go back now to look with you at the parable, I want you to think with me about and remember that we are now in the situation where people's failure to respond to God is bringing them into a judgment. And it is, um, how can I say this? It is a horrible and sad thing to see people hardening and digging in and refusing to admit their mistakes, and refusing to know to acknowledge what they know to be true, and in a sense moving forward in a in a kind of opposition to God, of judgment. You know, it's really a hard thing. I once gave a book. I had a conversation with one of my cousins, a lovely woman. We've known, of course, all our lives. We've known each other. We get on very well. Um, And uh, we got talking about the Christian faith. You know, it comes up when you're a clergy. It just comes up every now and again. And, um, you know, even if you don't raise it. And so I lent her a book of C.S. Lewis, his famous book, Mere Christianity. And I thought, you know, she's an intelligent woman. It's a great book. And then later on I asked her, how are you going with the book? And she said to me, he was making too much sense, so I stopped reading it. (laughs) Now, it's funny, isn't it? But it isn't funny. It's sad. It's very sad. Anyway, keep that in mind. Let's look again at the um, the parable. I just wanted to say, by the way, it occurred to me this week preparing this is that the three the three themes of these parables of Jesus actually correspond to the famous triple vow of the baptism service, the Christian Church's baptism service. Um, it's a little bit of uh, trivia, by the way, but it's interesting observation. You know, we uh, we say. Um, um, in the baptism service, do you turn to Christ? Repentance, you know? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Yes, I do. I believe in, in the Trinity. And then we say, will you be God's faithful soldier and servant until your life's end? Will you obey the Lord? They're the three vows, as it were, of the Christian. And they are there in the baptism service, and they are here uh, in these three parables of Jesus. Um, so let's go back um, to, the, uh, to the, the simple story of the two sons. The three vows, the three um, tests, I call them, are actually there in the story, the first story. They are there, two of them um, in May, up the front, and behind it, the third one, belief. So, obviously, the story is about um, the vineyard. So, this is Israel again. We know that. He's telling a story about a father and his sons and working in the vineyard. This is Israel. And it's interesting that when Israel in the Old Testament is described as the vineyard, it's often in a critical way. Uh, there's some failure of the nation before God. So, that, that's in Jesus' mind, too. And, of course, the parable is responding to the lack of fruit, lack of righteousness in the lives of the leaders compared uh, as jesus says to the to the real repentance of these outcasts these people on the margins uh, the people who flock to jesus so we have this horrible um, reality it's a sobering reality that here in this story and too often in the history of god's people the spiritual leaders are the ones who fail and for anyone who occupies a, an office in the church of spiritual leadership, and as I have and still do in a way, it, it should put a shiver up your spine. It should, should actually, in a good way, frighten you that there is, God expects more of our leaders. And he expects them not to fail and to bring the people that they lead into worse trouble. Very serious issue. So, the father, of course, in this story, I take it, refers to God. He's the father of the nation, he's the father of the people, and the sons represent Israelites, believers, members of God's people, and um, different responses to God. So, the first son makes an initial um, response to God, of course, um, a negative uh, to his father but he changes his mind and does what the father wants. Verse 29 there. uh, I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. The second son says the right thing but doesn't do it. Fails to follow through. Perhaps changing his mind in the disobedient direction. uh, The second son says, um, I will, sir, but he didn't go. So what's the main lesson of this parable? Well, it's pretty clear, really. It's about obedience. Uh, J.C. Ryle, the famous 19th century writer and bishop, he said, The Lord holds out immense encouragement to those who repent. One son, like the profligate tax collectors, for some time flatly refused obedience, but afterwards repented and went. The other, like the formal Pharisee, pretended willingness to go, but in reality went not. It was the son, like the tax collector, who obeyed, it is not our prof- initial profession and response that matters, but whether we actually repent and obey. That's that's the plain and straightforward meaning of the parable, and it's a really uh, important one. So these, these parables and this parable do um, um, put these uh, tests out, the tests of what genuine response to God is about. Um, obedience, an empty profession without... Obedience, of course, fails without actions. Repentance means a change of heart, but also a change of behavior. That's biblical repentance. It's not just feeling sorry, but it means following through and changing your life. And then belief, of course, is a proper relationship with the Father. Doing what the Father wants. Doing what the Father wants. Um, Very important. So they're the um, the three tests, I call them. I tried to think of another word for it, but I think they are tests of a genuine response to God. Because a lot of us, a lot of people, and maybe ourselves at different times in our life, we say we believe in Jesus, we say we believe in God, but we may not follow through. Or we may be called to repentance and we don't. Or like the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the people on the margins of Israel, uh, they were wayward, but they came back. You know, first of all, they didn't do what God wanted. But in their path of life, they found their way back. And for me, this uh, always reminds me, it's how you finish rather than how you start that makes the difference. It's what you do, not just what you say. It's so easy for Christian people. You know this. We all know it. We can say lots of stuff. We're big at speaking and witnessing and telling people what we believe we're not necessarily insincere but in the in the in the end of the day what the Lord is looking for is the reality of actions and Jesus puts this uh, application to the leaders of the nation when he finishes the story to them truly I tell you he says to them the the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you for John came to show you the way of righteousness And you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So there is, um, I think, that final comment of Jesus. Even after you saw other people, the people furthest away from God, changing their lives and coming in, you didn't change. You didn't turn around and follow their way now so that much is plain but i just want to go a little bit deeper with you today because this is where i was led in my thinking about it all um, what, what is the deeper meaning of these parables what's the deepest meaning of this parable and um it really is who is the one speaking who is who is jesus he's the deeper meaning of this parable and the introduction, the first part of our reading today, gave us the clue. Before this parable, and before these three parables are, are given, um, Jesus raises the question with them, or they raise the question with who are you, and what authority have you got to come in and act like you own this joint? <laughs> That's what they say to him. And, of course, that is his claim. He's the king... Coming to his temple. He is the father coming to his family to tell them what they need to do. He is the owner of the vineyard coming to give assignments and hold them accountable. So I want to point out to you it's a rather a bit like my sermon last week in the passage we looked at last week that this whole confrontation in this section of Matthew's Gospel is enclosed in two sections. We read one of them this morning that raise the question of who is Jesus? The one we heard this morning, what authority have you got? And Jesus uh, um, responds by throwing it back on them. He said, well, did you recognize the divine authority in John the baptizer? Uh, they, They don't want to put their head out in that one because they know. They know the people heard in John the Baptist the divine authority behind this prophet. And they immediately realize that they don't want to acknowledge that. So they dodge the question. And Jesus is supposedly saying, if you aren't prepared to see the hand of God in John the baptizer, you are not prepared to see the authority that I have or acknowledge it. That's what he's saying. And then at the end of the section, we haven't read it yet, but you can go and read it for yourself. Um, After the controversies in the temple and all that, um, Jesus raises a question to them about who is the Messiah, the identity of the Messiah, I'll leave you to read it. It's in chapter 22, verses 41 to, 40, 40, uh, to 45, 46. But effectively, what he's saying is, now let me ask you a question. You, you want to know who I am and what my authority is? Tell me, how do you work out the fact that the Messiah of Israel, a descendant of King David, calls God his... Um, sorry, how that David talking of his descendant the messiah uh, talks to him as if his descendant is god that's 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 the point of jesus own puzzle i'll leave you to go and read it we might talk about it later and that they of course are stumped they have they are stumped by his question because he's saying to them i am the messiah but there's a deeper secret in the messiah i am the messiah who is israel's lord so the father, the owner, and the king in these three stories is standing right in front of the leaders and they cannot see it or they don't want to see it. Now that's, uh, you know, that's an interesting question. Very interesting question. Um, so there's a real drama here. Uh, at this critical point in the history of Israel, the people of God, this long up-and-down history of obedience and failure and hearing the prophets and all that, came the time when God visited them in person. The king turned up in their presence. And we know from Luke's Gospel, and you can read chapter 19 of Luke's Gospel, which is parallel to this this kind of incident, this section, that he was very sad during this final confrontation. You know, Sometimes when people, um, when people in a prophetic vein have to challenge or criticize the failure of leaders, they, they may enjoy it a little bit too much, right? Being a critic. Someone said, I think it's a wise saying, if when you are called upon and you have to deliver a strong rebuke, You should not enjoy it. Jesus came out with a very strong challenge. But also, he was sad and he wept that it had got to this stage. Um, In Luke's Gospel, he says, um, judgment's coming. It came a generation later, nearly 30 years later. He said, they won't leave one stone on another here in Jerusalem, because you, leaders now, didn't recognize the time of the gracious visit of God. Or as J.B. Phillips translates it, you didn't know when God himself was visiting you. Now, um, there was a a song years ago, I think the frame was, Does Anyone Really Know What Time It Is? Do you remember that song? 70s song. You know, you'll sing it for us. Not now, later, right? Okay. Okay. You never want me to sing a song for you, right? I can't, I, you know. That's right. Does anyone ever really know what time it is? And That's right, okay. Oh, you're not timing my sermon, I hope. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, uh, what time was it when Jesus turned up? It was the time of God's visit. It was... Zero hour. It was the time when the decisions that had been made came to the crunch. Um, what time are we in right now, as a church, as a nation, as an individual, as individuals? What what's happening to us in our relationship with God now? Um, you know, we we can sit back and think. Well, I remember now i can look back and think about how life has changed maybe for some people they remember that they'd made a commitment to christ a long time ago and they did love him but they don't love the lord that much now in the book of the revelation jesus says about to the ephesus you have lost your early love for me very sad words you started out well You were commissioned as a chief priests of Israel and given immense authority and respect, and you failed. You haven't done what you should have done, even what you promised to do. So churches and nations can all um, find themselves in a day when God visits them. Now... There was a famous uh, English preacher called Frederick Robertson in the middle of the 19th century in Brighton. He was just an ordinary preacher, but he was a powerfully anointed preacher, and his ministry had a great effect. He preached probably one of the most famous sermons that any uh, parish priest minister has ever preached in the 19th century. It was called um, three times in a nation's history. And um, he's talking of Jesus coming to Jerusalem particularly from the words in Luke. He said this, these words, which rang the funeral knell of Jerusalem, tell out in our ears this day a solemn lesson. They tell us that in the history of nations, and it may be in the personal history of individuals, there are three times. A time of grace, opportunity. A time of blindness, and we don't want to see anymore and a time sadly of judgment when the redeemer spoke it was for jerusalem the time of blindness the time of grace was past, the time for judgment was to come so it's a frightening uh really frightening truth really that we face here um because you see it's not just one discreet act of go and do do what god tells you now go and do it it's what happens if we're like that other son who says things and never follows through on them? Who find that our our obedience fails the test on little things, maybe. Our repentance fails the test here, and here, and here again. Our belief to really honour and do what our Father we know is telling us fails. So life life. Poses tests for us, doesn't it, friends? You know this. Tests all the time. Little tests. And um, I think for my application for me about this parable today is that if we see, as it were, God visiting us, or the truth of God comes to our mind and really gets through, and then we turn away and try to forget it, and don't follow through on it, and close the door on it, we are kidding ourselves if we think we will easily come back and it'll be easier next time. For uh, F.W. Robertson put it well. He said, there is a way of blindness by hardening our hearts. If a man will not see, he said, the law is he shall not see. If he will not do what is right when he knows The right then right for him shall become wrong and wrong shall seem to be right we are facing therefore the the awesome spiritual law that the lack of spiritual insight or we would say response or obedience is a dangerous thing because it can often does bring deeper blindness hardness and disobedience Now, uh, this is why I've said, not in a jocular way, but not totally jocular, it's a dangerous thing to come to church every week and listen to sermons. For all of us. It's a dangerous thing for people like me to get up and sprout on about what it all means. Because it judges me, you know. The more we are exposed to the Bible, and the more something in it says, God is speaking to me today, but I'm not going to think about it. I don't want to do it. And yes, that book was making too much sense, but I I stopped reading it. The more we do that, the harder it will be to actually turn around and change. That's what I think this parable is about today. So this is actually a somber parable, and I do believe uh, Jesus was sad when he gave it, because I think he knew already that um, they weren't going to listen to it, that they weren't going to respond. Um, yeah, it's really sad. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm being reminded myself of the sadness of this to watch failure in real time, to watch people who should know better failing, despite you pleading with them not to fail, And urging them to turn back and not to do it, to watch them digging deeper and deeper in. And when I say other people, we can watch our own hearts, can't we? Because that's what we can do too. So, yeah, I don't know what the practical application of all this, except we all ought to think about when God comes and visits us, you know, the truth of God, the truth of the kingdom, that's the time to hear and obey, is not its it not? Let me pray. Gracious God, this is a heavy and uh, somber teaching. And we want to pray, Lord, for ourselves and those times in which um, we've um, said we would do something you wanted us to do and then we decided we wouldn't do it. Or we knew what was the right thing to do and didn't do it. Forgive us, Lord, turn us back. And for those who lead and others who, Lord, are shutting their minds to what you are telling them to do, when they know they are that you are speaking to them we pray lord that even now you might change them bring them back in jesus name we pray